Our brother is going to come and bring the Word of God to us. Will you turn to Acts 14 in your Bibles, Acts 14. And if you need a copy of the Scriptures, the fellows have some. So as they make their way back, get their attention, and they have those Bibles marked at Acts 14. Just before our brother looks at that passage, he's going to show us some slides about uh, the work that's being done in New York. We look forward to hearing from you, Brother Davis. Good morning, community. It's a delight to be back, and I say that because, as I think many of you know, we were here just uh, two, what, two months ago, Pastor, for the baptism of our granddaughter, uh, Sarah, and uh, we're previously here for Andrew's baptism, and it's been a delight to see how God has been growing this church and this community. As a church planner, uh, we have a real uh, empathy and appreciation for how God has, has used Pastor Ken and your leadership team here to plant this church here in the Detroit uh, in the Detroit area. I'm a big city guy, and I love big cities. And uh, so, in fact, years ago when we were in Indianapolis and church planting cross-culturally, primarily in the African-American community, and by the way, I need to say that because I'm used to a lot of verbal affirmation. Do you know what I mean? I'm used to preaching in predominantly black circles where there's a lot of amens and, and back and forth. And when I get into, a, can I say this, into a lily-white audience... I have real difficulties preaching because everybody's so quiet and still. So help me out this morning, okay? But uh, when, anyhow, when we, were in, when we were in Indianapolis years ago, we were praying about Detroit as, and seeing the need in the, in the Detroit metro area, and God just never worked it out for us to come here. Well, uh, we are, I've been blessed to be a part of a, a ministry now for 12 years in northeast Pennsylvania, heavenly Ro- Roman Catholic area of our country where the number of solid biblical churches is very few compared to the Midwest and the Bible Belt. Project Jerusalem is a ministry, actually out of Baptist Bible Seminary, pastor, and uh, I have the joy of uh, leading that, working with seminary men and their wives, training them, coaching them, mentoring them. We believe the best way to start for guys to learn how to start new churches is just to go out and do it through on-the-job training, amen? Uh, and so our mission is to plant churches, to train guys to be church planters by, by planting churches. And we praise God that uh, now a dozen, ch- uh, seven churches have been planted over the last 12 years uh, in northeast Pennsylvania. Wish I had time to tell you the story of each of these. Uh, it's pretty exciting to see God using seminary teams and student help from the Bible College as well to launch these new churches as a totally by faith ministry. And it's our joy to work with them. Let me just share with you two of these churches because my passion is multi-ethnic churches today when we look at the diversity of our urban areas. And two of our most exciting and recent church plants are in the Poconos where there's lots of growth coming up out of New York and New Jersey. I had to learn to speak right. The other thing, when I moved to the, mid, to the Northeast, out of the Midwest, you had to throw away your, your Midwest brogue and learn to speak with Northeastern drawl there. Living Hope Baptist is our first church in the Poconos. They meet in a high school, as you do, in the cafeteria. And it's a very uh, African-American, Hispanic, uh, West Indian, Caribbean, a few Asian-Americans. And then Anglos are about 30% of the congregation. So it's a very celebratory worship style. This is the seminary couple that uh, God brought us to uh, train, and uh, Pastor Tom had been in the uh, Navy for 20 years and then came to seminary, doing a good job of leading that. I love to hear their little choir sing. Any of you listen to Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? My favorite choir, quite frankly, and I call this choir Little Brooklyn Tab. 
because uh, not only of the diversity of the choir, but, but their sound and so forth, very upbeat, celebratory music. Mountain Stream Baptist was the second of our multi-ethnic churches in the Poconos. It just started a little over two years ago. And uh, we have a team approach in all of our church plants. This is the team that I originally recruited and have had the privilege of training and mentoring, led by the fellow right in the middle there who's Jamaican-born, Brother James Richards. And he's a, a good, uh, really a good pick for that area because so many West Indians have been moving into that area. Again, they meet in a public school and in the gymnasium, in fact. And uh, the grand opening of that church, as you can see, as several of ours have been in the Northeast there, was uh, well over 200. Now, we had about 50 guests from their home church in New York City who came up, but still a good crowd from the local area there after about two years of work behind the scenes. And I wish again you could join us in worship in, a very, in this kind of a celebratory, multi-ethnic crowd there. Pastor James is a great communicator of the Word of God, and uh, I just appreciate so much. He'd been a pastor for 12 years in Jamaica before the Lord brought him up to the States to attend the seminary, and uh, it's a great privilege to work with him as well. Every year I have a church planners retreat with our fellows and gals and their wives, some single seminary guys as well, and about 40 gathered last year for two days, and we bring in a special speaker, try to encourage them, wine and dine them as I call it, and express our appreciation to them. And uh, you, you pray for us as we continue that ministry. I've been working for 12 years now in the Northeast to get us into New York City. That was originally my passion that pulled us out of our comfort zone in, in Indianapolis. And New York City is without a doubt the greatest mission field in America, 22 million in the metro area. Every nation on planet Earth literally is represented in, uh, in the New York City metro area there. And our vision over the next 10 years, Lord willing, is to plant a number of multi-ethnic churches. We hope to have our first team on site by the end of this, of this year. I need to go back there, get finger happy. Robert Rodriguez is the guy that we've been praying for, God's man, to plant this church, not knowing who the Lord had. Robert, uh, the Lord brought across our, our path. He'd grown and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Is a city guy, knows the city well, is pastoring a small church in New Jersey right now. And right now we're trying to raise support for him so that we can move his family. He's got four children. You can imagine living in Queens, which is where the church plant will be in Astoria, right across from Manhattan. Lots of hipster, young adult professionals moving over from Manhattan there into that area. And we believe this is the place, after much demographic research, that God would have us to plant this church. I've got some, some display literature out there. And if you'd like to sign up to receive our e-newsletter each month and pray for our ministry and find out what we're doing, particularly in New York City, be sure and sign up there and talk to me maybe after the uh, service is over. Let me, before we go to the text of Scripture, just tell you four startling reasons why I believe we need to be aggressively planning churches in North America. Uh, the first reality that many of us may not recognize is that there are huge numbers of unchurched North Americans uh, in our land today. Now, you, you drive around the average city, you see lots of churches, you may say there's lots of, uh, you know, most people have an opportunity to hear the gospel. But actually, the research shows about 230 million North Americans uh, that uh, are Canadians and Americans who are effectively not affiliated with Bible-believing or really any kind of a, of a solid church there. The USA is the third largest nation in the world today, and we will continue to be one of the largest nations and probably one of the largest mission fields in America. A second fact and reality is that the number of churches in the United States is actually decreasing 
proportionate to the overall population. Again, it may not seem that way when you drive around. But notice here that in 1900, there were 27 churches per every 10,000 of our population. But today, there are about 11 churches per 10,000 of our population. And so the reality is there are fewer churches, particularly Bible-believing churches, that preach the gospel to, to, to win our lost and unchurched people to Jesus Christ. Church attendance is also decreasing in America. It's In fact, it's been steadily declining. Now, Barn and Gallup and a lot of the pollsters have told us that about 40% of the American people go to church on a given Sunday, and that was what the common knowledge was. But actually, more recent research shows that about 17%, as you can see all the way over on the left, on your right-hand side there, the American people attend church on a given, on a given Sunday. But that's all kinds of churches, mainline churches, churches that don't preach the gospel. Actually, evangelical and Bible-believing churches, as you can see, they're only about 9% of the population are attending those kinds of churches. And so, again, we need to be starting churches because of the decline in church attendance. Another fact that may uh, surprise you is that many of the established churches, really shouldn't surprise us, are really in survival mode and eventually will close. They'll die. They'll close their doors, if you will. Here's the good news and the bad news when it comes to church planting. About 3,700 churches close their doors every year and dissolve. Now, we need to be planting at least that many new churches every year all across America just to keep up. See that? But and the reality is, the good news is that about 4,000 churches are planted. Now, not all those survive, but about 4,000 are planted every year. But to keep up with the population explosion, we need to be starting about 1,000 every year in America. And, and we're not doing so, I want you to see. Uh, 1,000 more than we are, if, if you will. Now, I tell the guys around the school that it's a lot easier to have babies than to raise the dead. You know what I mean by that? It's a lot easier to go out and plan a brand new church from scratch and organize it according to the Word of God than to try to take an older established church where the famous last words of the church are, Pastor, we've never done it that way before, you know. And they don't want to change, if you will. And so that's why, just from a practical standpoint, let alone what the Word of God has to say, we need to be planning churches. The, the reality is, folks, that new churches are really uh, the, the, the leading edge of Christ's great commission. Starting a new church, I want you to know, is the most effective means for reaching people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Research across all denominations verifies that. What missions professor Peter Wagner said a number of years ago, it's never been repudiated, and that is this, that the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. Okay, Now, why is that? Because new churches have an excitement and a vitality and a novelty that attracts unsaved and unchurched people. They'll come to a neutral setting like a school, like, like you're in right here, right? To, to check out a new church where they wouldn't come maybe to a, an established building. New churches are normally built with a sizable number of new converts. Researcher Tom Rayner says that a typical established church in America takes combined efforts of 89 Christians in a year's time to win one convert to Jesus Christ. Think about that. It takes 89 Christians to win one person to faith in Christ. But not so in most new churches. They're filled with new converts. It's not unusual for 60 to 80 percent or more of a new church's membership to say that they became followers of Christ through the outreach of their church, if you will. The typical healthy new church gains most of its members from among those who are not active with any worshiping community. So there's no better way, people, 
to fulfill the Great Commission than by planting new churches. Amen? Okay, I'm priming the pump here and trying to get you to loosen up a little bit. Now, research shows that new churches are the best way for reaching three groups of people, new generations, new residents, and new people groups. Now, let me unpack that and kind of help you to understand. We'll look to the Word of God in a minute. Just hold on. We will. This is all introduction, okay? Uh, First of all, I want you to see that younger adults are best reached often and attracted to younger churches because long-established churches, sadly, tend to have kind of crusty traditions that often repel a lot of the emerging generations. It's just a reality. And some newer church, older churches are able to reach the younger generations, but it oftentimes takes a young church to, to reach them, if you will. Secondly, understand that new move-ins into the community, new residents are almost always reached better by newer congregations because in an older congregation, you often have to be there for at least 10 years before you would be entrusted with any leadership position. You know, And so you're kind of an outsider in, in a lot, at least that's the perception if you are, you're newly moved into the, into the community. And lastly, understand that new ethnic and cultural groups moving into a community are normally better reached by new churches where they can hear the gospel preached in their heart language and where the worship is a, a, a little bit more comfortable in their own cultural style and so forth. Now, do you realize, by the way, that a sovereign God is literally bringing the nations of the world, the peoples of the world, if you will, right here to our urban doorstep in America? And those of you who live in the Detroit metro area should not have to be reminded of that, right? You understand that. But you see, it's difficult for established churches to become diverse when they've been predominantly Anglo for many, many years. Now, some can make that transition, but some would struggle with that. And church planning can effectively launch both ethnic-specific and multi-ethnic congregations. And that's my passion, is multi-ethnic churches in our urban areas today. Do you realize that ethnic minorities, peoples, we're talking about now those who are, who are legalized citizens, now number about 35% of our population, or about 110 million American citizens amongst us, Okay. And new churches are the most effective way, again, to reach and disciple the growing ethnic populations that a sovereign God is bringing right here, again, to our urban doorstep. Now, in light of all of that, I want you to go now with me to the, to the book of Acts, all right? And I believe that we need to look closely again at the book of Acts. Now, let me kind of set the stage for the passage here in Acts 14, just Bear with me again a little bit. Through the centuries, no matter what their world was like, Christians have gone back to the book of Acts to learn about how to reach uh, and, and minister effectively to, to lost people. If, you want to see, if we want to see how to spread the gospel in the 21st century, Acts can help us because the world today is much like it was in the Mediterranean world of the first century. The times are very similar. Today, for example, we live in a largely urban world. 50% or more of the people of the world live in cities, mostly big cities, like Detroit and New York and Chicago. So we live in an urban world. We live in a pluralistic age, both religiously as well as ethnically, just like it was for first century Christians, I want you to see. Now, let me set the stage for what we're about to read. The book of Acts shows us that 
exactly how the apostles, those who heard the, our Lord give the great commission, that final mandate of our Lord, which should be our first concern. It has never been rescinded, right? The great commission has never been rescinded. The Acts, book of Acts shows us how exactly they understood that last mandate was to be fulfilled and obeyed. It was to be done through the planning of new churches, primarily, if we understand what the Great Commission is all about. In the ministry of Acts, we find that church planning is not a traumatic, unnatural event. It's not something odd or just once in a lifetime. It's not forced on people by circumstances, nor is it something only a few churches do, which I find in America is a reality. Only a few churches are seeking to really plant churches, Pastor. Your church is wanting to start a daughter church in the future, and I commend you for that, and I want to spur you on in that endeavor. No, in the book of Acts, we find that church planning is woven into the warp and woof of things, if you will. It happens constantly, it happens normally and naturally. Paul and his missionary teams never evangelized the lost and discipled converts without also planting churches. And that's something that the modern church has much forgotten. A careful reading of the historical record of the book of Acts reveals a very basic truth, a core principle, I I feel, in the book of Acts. And that is that anything that is healthy reproduces. Healthy Christians, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, reproduce other Christians. Healthy churches, by the power of the Holy Spirit, reproduce themselves by more leaders, more small groups, and new congregations. And on a corporate level, I like to call this Planned Parenthood. Can I use that terminology in this august body? Planned Parenthood. You know what happens among Baptists when we don't plan on it? It's accidental parenthood. It's church split. And that's why in a lot of churches, in a lot of cities you see First Baptist Church, Second Baptist Church, Third Baptist, because they split over the color of the carpet or the style of the music or whatever. You know, they didn't plan corporately to reproduce themselves, as I think we see in the Word of God. And Acts makes it very clear that church planning must grow out of an attitude and an atmosphere in a local church where reproduction and multiplication is a core value. It's part of the DNA of that church, if you will. Amen? And that needs to be true of this church. Now, in Acts, we see something else. We see that when the people of God are obedient to the Word of God and to the Great Commission in in particular, three things are multiplied. And I really don't have time to look at this, but in Acts chapter 6, you find that that when they obey the Great Commission, the number of disciples are multiplied, first of all, and then the Word of God is multiplied. And it's the same verb in the original language we find here. Unfortunately, the NIV kind of fogs the translation of it a little bit there. But here's the, here's the text I want you to see. In Acts 9.31, Dr. Luke records the multiplication of churches here. Notice, then the churches, now in the plural, they started with one church in Acts in, 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 in Jerusalem, right? Now by the time we get to chapter 9, there are churches in the plural throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And these churches had peace and they were edified and they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And they were what? What does it say? Multiplied. Now, unfortunately, again, the NIV version kind of fogs the translation of a little bit, but it's the same verb that's found in Acts 6.1 and Acts 6.7. The number of disciples are multiplied, the number of the Word of God is multiplied, and the number of churches are multiplied when the people of God are obedient to the Word of God. Okay? That's what we see in the book of Acts. Now, 
Here's an analogy to help us understand that. You see, beloved, the true fruit of an apple tree is not another apple, but it's another apple tree. You see what I'm saying? The true fruit of a local church is not just more people being saved and baptized in the baptismal tank, but another local church. See that? You take the seeds of an apple and you plant it in the ground, and what's it going to grow? Another apple tree, right? And likewise, God wants every church to, that is healthy to reproduce itself and plant other churches when the seeds of our people are scattered and dispersed around the community. See that? That's God's purpose. Now, with that introduction, turn with me to our passage now. Thank you for being so patient with me. Pastor had you all set up and then you wondered if I was going to get there, right? Okay. If we want to see the powerful impact of church planning in a community, let's look more closely this morning at this primary passage. In Acts 14, beginning at verse 21, we're going to read down to the end of the chapter in just a moment. This is a classic example of church multiplication strategy, how the early church advanced the gospel. Notice that Dr. Luke, as we begin to read this now, is summarizing here Paul's great commission efforts in the cities of Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, all cities, by the way, of the region of Galatia, and later to be recipients of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Let's begin reading at verse 21. They, that is Paul and his team, preached the good news in, this, in that city and won a large number of disciples. And when they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the the word in Perga, they went down to Antilia. From Antilia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now again, this is a classic missions passage, if you will, that shows us how they advanced the gospel in the first century. And and I want you to notice in this passage that there are three stages to Paul's Great Commission strategy, if you will, to his missionary strategy. First of all, we see in verse 21 that he clearly communicated the gospel. There was evangelism. We see that, notice, with the two verbs that Dr. Luke uses in verse 21. Notice the text says they preached the good news. And the word that's used there, by the way, is not the normal word for preach here in the New Testament. It's a rather comprehensive word. They literally angelizidomai. They, they gospeled the city, if you will. And that's a great deal more than just simply preaching sermons on Sunday morning, you know. The, the book of Acts shows that Paul and his teams were spreading the gospel through preaching in the synagogues, through starting Bible study groups, speaking out in the marketplaces, uh, dis- having discussion sessions in, the rented, in rented halls, just talking to people one-on-one on the street corner. You know, all those ways they were doing aggressive evangelism in the first century. Now, there's a, there's, there's a second verb found in verse 21. Notice that it's almost lost again in the NIV translation. Luke says, they won 
or, or better, they made a large number of or, or many disciples. And the Greek verb here is matheteo, which occurs in the New Testament only one other time, and that's in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission passage. And Luke, you see, is clearly emphasizing the Great Commission here. That ev- and evangelism is always the first step I want you to see in, in, in doing New Testament outreach and missions. This is how new churches are birthed, if you will, through vigorous evangelism, through, through community outreach, if you will. Now, here's some things that we've done in some of our church plants in the Northeast. We've used community carnivals. I understand you've done that here in your early years. And some of you say, oh, I'd like to get back to that. Well, we'll plant a daughter church and then you can get back at that, right? Uh, and, and, you know, we would bring in go-karts, a Christian guy, a businessman, and we would uh, attract a lot of people from the community and, and build a lot of relationships with lost people that way. We'd have summer day camps for the kids and uh, teach soccer skills and basketball skills and communicate the gospel to the kids in these summer camps with uh, a puppet ministry. This was a team, by the way, that came out from Michigan to help us in a new outreach. One of our churches in Scranton, uh, rents out from the city a, a city park on the 4th of July, and they have a 4th of July huge cookout and bash, if you will. And they've had four or 500 people come to this. Free hot dogs, free hamburgers, and all kinds of games and things that are going on. And, and again, it attracts a crowd, and they're able to get the contact information on all these people and begin to build relationships, if you will. And we do a lot of servant evangelism in this area of the Northeast, where we build relationships with people by doing community acts of kindness, if you will, kind of pre-evangelism. And your church has done some of that as well. And I encourage you to continue to do that. So easy for even churches once we're launched to kind of let up an area of evangelism, right, Pastor? And, and forget what got us here, you know, as a church, if you will. Now, that's the first stage, evangelism. Now, look back with me at verse 22. We see the second stage in Paul's overall strategy, if you will. The second step in advancing the gospel, in doing biblical mission, if you will. Notice it says, they went back to the converts to strengthen and to encourage them. And notice, the, again, the two verbs that are used there. That, those verbs mean that they fortified, they established them. Those two verbs are used together repeatedly in the book of Acts. It means they were building up the new believers. And how did they do it? They taught and they retaught them the faith. Notice Luke records there. He says they encourage them to remain true to what? To the faith. Now, that's no doubt a reference to a definitive body of doctrinal beliefs, what we would call theology. Today, we call that process discipleship, right? And so they were gathering these new believers together to nurture them, to edify them in their new faith. And as you read the book of Acts, you see the instruction, the instruction and the nurturing of new converts those new communities were central to Paul's outreach efforts and strategy, if you will. And I don't have time to look at some of those parallel passages. These verbs are often used in the missionary journeys of Paul. In fact, most of Paul's epistles, do you realize this? The letters that he wrote were actually letters to newly planted churches to ground them in the basics, right? And they were written to new church plants, if you will. So for Paul, after evangelization came edification, First the church was birthed, and then it was built up, if you will. But notice that Paul and his teammates didn't stop there, as many parachurch groups do today in Christian circles. There's a third stage 
to their overall outreach strategy for advancing the gospel. Notice that Paul and Barnabas helped with what I call church formation by making sure that those believers were gathered together, that the leaders, local leaders, were consecrated. And so they sought to plant the church firmly in the soil of the local culture and the local community. Notice verse 23 says that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders or pastors in each one of these newly formed churches. And notice that they clearly saw the need to to identify and raise up and train and mentor local leaders who could direct the affairs of of each church and teach them the Word of God. And notice they also saw the need to organize and establish these brand new congregations. And each of them became a church in its own right, if you will, uh, not under Paul's direct and continuing authority. In the first verse, we see the evangelization of the lost. In the next verse, we see the edifying of those new converts. And in the third verse, we see the establishing of those local churches. See that? That was the missionary strategy of Paul. I call it the Pauline model of missions. If you want to do biblical missions, this is the, this is the classic example of how we do it. Amen? See, that's why we can say that the book of Acts, corporate multiplication, is as natural as individual convert multiplication. I want you to see. This is the norm in the book of Acts. This is biblical missions again. Now, throughout the book of Acts, we see that great, the Great Commission goal was to start up new churches and make them autonomous churches, indigenous churches, that is, churches that fit the local culture, that didn't seem foreign to the local residents. The objective was to start churches under local leadership, churches that were commissioned and empowered and capable of fulfilling the Great Commission on their own, you see, with outside help. In other words, the goal is to plant healthy churches, New Testament churches, that were capable of reproducing themselves. Now, unfortunately, in North America, most churches have never reproduced themselves once. They've never done it once, but that's the New Testament norm I want you to see. Today we call these kinds of churches, by the way, missional churches. I don't know if you've heard that terminology. I like that term. It has to be properly defined. We're talking about churches that are biblically sound and yet culturally relevant, that fit their local community, that see themselves on mission with Jesus to reach not only the, the, the world, but their own community, their own Jerusalem, their Acts 1-8 balance. They're reaching their own Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, as well as the uttermost parts of the earth, if you will. And very few churches have that Acts 1-8 balance, in my estimation. Now, please notice and further something else as we bring this to a close. In chapter 14, Paul was traveling evidently to and fro from a number of churches, Lystra and Iconium and Antioch and Pisidia and Pamphylia and all those places that we read about. Notice in verse 24 and 25 and verse 21. And if he was visiting this many places, so were others. Now, I'm kind of reading under the text here a little bit. And a type of, if you will, of globalization was occurring, if you will. I got ahead of myself here. Hold on. <laughs> and once, once you get ahead of yourself, we got to go back. Pastor, have you ever done that? You get finger happy there? You never have to advance your own, so you never have that happen, right? <laughs> so, so there was a type of globalization that was occurring. And notice mobile populations were, were coming to the cities and people were moving back and forth to, to town and country areas. 
And you can be sure they brought with them their own language and their own culture and their own religion, if you will, or non-religion. And so there was some kind of a, some form of first century globalization, similar to what we're seeing today. See that? But, but Paul faced, I think, a second challenge, as we do today. And that is different generations and diverse people groups were, were being brought together for the first time in these new cities and communities of the Roman Empire. And the native peoples were no longer homogeneous. And you can, you can be sure that many different religions were vying for the attention of the masses and the peoples. And so new opportunities and new models for evangelism and church planning were no doubt emerging. But the point is, Paul and Barnabas capitalized on all this to get the gospel out. They didn't wring their hands and bemoan, the times are so tough we can't possibly do anything, as I hear some independent fundamental Baptist pastors say today, you know. So what was Paul's answer to the challenge of globalization and pluralization of the day? It was simple. It was threefold. Clear gospel communication. Amen? Amen? Diligent convert maturation. Amen? And aggressive church multiplication or church formation. Amen? And I believe that Acts 14 would teach us that these three gospel companions, if you will, are the answer in our day to the globalization and to the pluralization poised against the backdrop of a postmodern society largely that we're facing today in America. A post-Christian era where, where, where the Christian faith is no longer the accepted norm in our society and culture as it has been in the past. And beloved, I believe that this is God's strategy for reaching every generation of, believe, uh, of, of people in every society, in every culture. Amen? This was not just the first century way of doing it, but this is God's plan. We must gospelize our co- communities and, and then seek to get these new believers into healthy reproducing churches. Amen? Again, that's the New Testament way, beloved, of doing mission and fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, let me challenge you, Community Baptists, in closing now. As a church, as God's people, are you passionate about being on mission with King Jesus to reach the Detroit metro area with the good news? Good question. Are you passionate about that? Are you fully committed to Christ this morning as a people and willing to follow your leadership in this big step of investing in and launching a number of daughter churches by the grace of God, I would challenge you, over the whole Detroit metro area? See, that should be your goal, your aspiration as a church body. See, beloved, fulfilling the Great Commission is not just the job of a few professional missionaries or the church planner that we may hire to plant that daughter church. It should be the job of the entire body of Christ, the entire church, amen? All of us as people should be involved in the Great Commission, amen? It's the mission of the entire church. We can all be contributing in some way. We can get involved and participate in the joy of birthing daughter churches. Teams of people can be sent out to do the early evangelism and the research and to go out with ministry projects and help with community carnivals and projects and outreach and evangelism. And others will need to stay behind and pray and support financially. And mission teams will need to be sent out continually to help that new church. It'll take the whole church to get the job done and impact the community of the the metro area of Detroit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning and we're so very, very thankful that you've given us your word and you've given us a strategy of how to impact our world. 
Father, thank you for Community Baptist and what you've accomplished here over the last years under Pastor Ken and the leadership team here and people who are willing to follow the Word of God. And I pray that you'd continue to bless them and multiply their numbers and their resources so that this kind of a vision can be fulfilled. May you use them greatly for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think you can readily tell why uh, we are very excited to attend the church planting school that Brother Ken is going to be conducting over these next four days because of his enthusiasm, because of his expertise in what the Bible has to say, and in the practical outworking of what the Bible has to say in church plants. So thank you, brother. It's been a great uh, help to me and I know to our church as well. I'll just make a few comments uh, regarding what our brother has said, not to, add, not, to, uh, not to clarify because he was very clear, but just to really apply what he has said a bit to, to us. Most of you know that every year in the fall, we, le- we remind you of our vision for 2015. If you've never been to one of our servant seminars, then, uh, then I encourage you to attend that. But every year we remind ourselves of what it is the Lord has called us to do and look out now just five years away in 2015 to see the Lord using us in the way that our brother has said. All of the things that he included with regard to healthy churches have either happened or are on that next five years for us to accomplish by 2015. So we thank the Lord for that, but I wanted to, I wanted to uh, remind you and for some of you inform you of that, that you need to become acquainted with what our vision is, and we offer venues for you to, to, to see that and to, uh, and to be encouraged in that, and so you have to avail yourselves of that. As a for instance, this uh, fall on September 25, September 25 of this year, you mentioned carnivals, things that we've done in the past that some of you might like to get back to. Well, here's your opportunity. On September 25 of this year, we are hoping that the school is going to let us use the grounds here for what we call Community Sunday and to invite the entire community to kind of kick the tires here, see what we're about, have the hot dogs going, have the bouncy for the kids and and all the stuff. It's going to be a huge project, should be a great time, and it's also the very time of our anniversary as well. So what a great time for us to celebrate the launch of our church as we do every year with Community Sunday. So you'll be hearing more about that and the need for folks to get involved to make that a success. And let me just give one final pastoral observation and then we'll conclude. It is my observation that in looking at churches that they suffer from one of two things when they fail to be uh, healthy and reproduce. One is a lack of vision, and that is not a problem at our church. It never has been. It is not now. We know what the Lord has called us to do. We are moving toward that, and we lay it out out in front of you on a regular basis. So one problem is often a lack of vision, but we don't have that particular problem. But here's the other one, and I will just uh, phrase it this way. God's people become distracted. That's the word, distracted. We're, we're, We're encouraged to look in this direction, but we get distracted to look in other directions. And we look at all sorts of okay things, they're not sinful things, but they're not the Great Commission. And we devote our energies and our private uh, time and our gifts and abilities to things other than the mission. 
And that is the one thing that can derail this church, is that we get distracted. Now, look in your program, and then I'll shut up. But take a look in your program. And look at the middle panel, and look down at the bottom. Middle panel, down at the bottom. New Discovering God series. You all see that? Called Get a Life. And it says, which will tell us, to remind us with regard to what God's purpose is for us. That's precisely what that series is about, beginning July 24th. To keep us from being distracted. So that we can keep a laser beam, uh, eye beam on the vision to which uh, the Lord has called us and which we've laid out and continue to lay out. So I encourage you to be here, July 24th and the weeks after. So that if you are tempted to be distracted, if you are distracted, you can be pulled back toward the vision to which God has called us. And God is doing and is going to do great things through Community Baptist Church. All right? Let's conclude as we stand together for our closing song.